Welcome to the Church at Rocky Peaks downloadable messages and podcast. This week we continue our seven-part series entitled The Power of Perspective, Life Principles from the Book of Proverbs. And this week we have the sixth message entitled Solomon on Sex, and it's brought to us by our lead pastor, Mike Yearly. Well, good morning. We're, uh, we're going to be talking today about, <laughs> about uh, Solomon on sex, and, and I'm really looking forward to this. I know a lot of pastors don't like to talk about sex. I'm not one of them. I don't know what that says about me, but, uh, but I am really looking forward to this. Uh, you know, sex is a huge topic. I mean, you cannot go through our world today on a day-to-day basis and just be bombarded every day with hundreds and often thousands of sometimes subtle and sometimes not-so-subtle messages. Every time you turn the radio, you listen to uh, your, your uh, favorite music, you, you turn on the TV, you go watch a show, uh, talk radio, you open the newspaper, magazines or whatever. I mean, sex is just constantly in our face with the message that not only is this an important area of life, but this is the key to your happiness. You know, this is like the, the uh, promised land right here. And uh, so even if you're a desperate housewife, it still works for you. And so... Uh, so anyway, we want to talk about that today, just candidly, frankly, we want to look at what does God's Word say about this, especially with, what does Solomon have to say in the book of Proverbs and some of his other writings. And uh, the good news is, is that uh, God has spoken so clearly to this topic and uh, in such a powerful way. Now, the, I got to warn you, I did this a couple weeks ago, but some of you may not have been here a couple weeks ago. I got to warn you that uh, today, some of this is going to be a little explicit. You know, I told you it's going to be rated R, and, uh, and it definitely will be. I won't be more explicit than God's Word is explicit, but I'm committed to teaching God's Word, and it's such an important area. And so uh, if you're here and you have very young kids or something, and you, you know, there's still time to get out. All right. Um, <laughs> the rest of you are glued to your seat. <laughs> like, we're not going anywhere. Uh, all right. Let's jump in. You, you notice here on your note sheet, there's two major sections we're going to be talking about today. The first section is called, <laughs> there we go. <laughs> well, he's so young, he'd probably go over his head. But anyway, uh, <laughs> I was like, what kind of church is this? No. Um, so, uh, two, two, uh, Two big picture principles we're going to be talking about today, all right? And we're going to stand back and say, what are the big picture? What does Solomon teach about sex in the big picture? But then we want to come back at the end and get very practical and say, well, now in our lives, how do we take his advice and put it to practice? How do we we kind of take what we've learned and get real practical about this, all right? So two major sections. Let's jump in. Number one, what Solomon has to say about sex. Uh, Number one, first thing he wants us to understand is that sex is a good thing. In fact, you might even want to put in sex as a God thing. I'll leave it up to you, one O or two O's. But uh, it's, sex is something that God created. He thought it up, and he went to great um, effort at this. Uh, you know, uh, years ago, back in the 1960s, when they first started doing these major kind of sexual studies and all, one of the first ones that came out was that Masters and Johnson report, this big study. And one of the things that they discovered, for example, is that in the female body alone, there are 34 what they called erogenous zones, 34 kind of receptor sites, rea- reactivity sites. Uh, you know, like, you know, push this button here. And when you stop and think about that, 34 sites that most of which have no, have, have no, uh, nothing to do with, repro- uh, with pro- reproduction. They have nothing to do with just like sex to make babies. They're just sex for pleasure. It's obvious that God has put great thought into this whole area of sexuality. He has designed our bodies for this, and it's something from him that was intended to be a good thing. Now, it often becomes a bad thing. We'll talk about that, but for his mind, it's a good thing. Now, 
throughout church history, there have been times when Christians have really got this right, and there have been times when Christians have really got it wrong. If you study church history, you know there are times where Christians have been really down on sex, it's a necessary evil, or the less sex you have, the more spiritual you are. I know some of you still think that, but that's wrong. And um, so uh, uh, I came across a book years ago <coughs> by a guy named Rick Stedman, and I put this quote there, uh, he talked about the Middle Ages, and he says, during the Middle Ages, Christian couples were encouraged to abstain from sex on Thursday out of respect for the Lord's Supper, which was instituted by Jesus on Monday, Thursday, then on Friday for the crucifixion, on Saturday to honor the Virgin Mary, on Sunday for the resurrection, and on Monday in memory of the poor departed souls with whom by this time they felt very sympathetic. <laughs> Hence their slogan became, thank God it's Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> And so, I, so, so throughout time, Christians have messed up on this one. And, you know, I really think that one of the mess that our society in today in sexuality is largely our fault as a Christian church that we have not taught throughout the history of this nation of clearly about what God says about sex. And therefore, we've kind of uh, created an environment where, the, where false things about sex can, can grow. So here's what we're going to do. Um, I want you to take your Bible right now. We're going to do a little Bible study. Uh, Proverbs chapter 5 and verse 18. We're going to see what, what does Solomon have to say about sex? What's God's words have to say? So chapter 5 and verse 18. Uh, may your fountain be blessed and may, and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth. A loving doe, a graceful deer, may her breasts satisfy you always. And may you ever be captivated by her love. So very positive view about the sexual relationship within a marriage. Uh, let's, let's go to, uh, to the right <coughs> just a little bit. And I'll probably be hacking a little bit. They just ignore it, okay? If you ignore it, I'll ignore it. Um, but go to the right a little bit. The Song of Solomon, uh, chapter 7. Uh, you know, Solomon wrote several songs. He, wrote, he, he was a songwriter. He wrote, actually, the Bible tells us, 1,005 songs. This was his top hit. Song of Songs. And, and so in chapter 7, um, he's describing his relationship with his bride and how he sees this woman. And it's very uh, descriptive. The guy's totally in love. You can tell because some of the things he says make no sense at all. And, uh, and so in, in verse 1, um, he's going to start describing this woman that he's in love with, you know, his bride. And he's going to describe her from the feet up for us. And so he says, how beautiful your sandaled feet, O prince's daughter. Now this is always a telltale sign to me. When a man starts talking about how beautiful his woman's feet are, it's just like you know he's a goner. This is not normal male behavior. It's not the, the thing males normally first recognize. Like, wow, look at the feet on that one. You know, it's just like, uh, whew, you know, those are, what are those, size eights? I don't know. So... Um, so how beautiful your sandal feet, O princess daughter. And he starts moving up her body. Your graceful legs are like jewels. They're the work of a craftsman's hands. Your navel, here goes one, he's off the charts. Your navel is like a rounded goblet that never lacks blended wine. Whatever. You know, like, what does that mean? I, I read that, I just can't even relate, you know. It's like some new pickup line or something. Hey, baby, look at you. Whatever, so... And then the next one, is this good or bad? Your waist is a mound of wheat encircled by lilies. He thinks it's a good thing. So anyway, now we're moving on, verse 3. Your breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle. Your neck, it's like an ivory tower. 
Your eyes, I can relate to this one. Your eyes are like the pools of Heshbon by the gates of Bathrabim. Your nose, it's like the Tower of Lebanon. Now again, is this a compliment? <laughs> is this like Mrs. Pinocchio? It's like, I always visualize this huge thing, you know. Here she comes. Hey, Tower of Lebanon, I've seen that before. Okay, verse 5, your head crowns you like Mount Carmel. Your hair is like royal tapestry. The king is held captive by its tresses. How beautiful you are. How pleasing, O love, with your delights. Here we go. Here comes uh, rated R. Your statue, your your stature, it's like that of a palm. Your breasts, they're like clusters of fruit. And I said, I'm going to climb that palm tree and I'm going to take hold of that fruit. Whoa, it's getting hot in here. Change the metaphor. May your breasts be like clusters of the vine and the fragrance of your breath like apples and your mouth like the best wine. Now you're wondering like, well, how is, how is the bride feeling about this? Is she's ready to call 911. This guy's lost it. You know, I'm out of here. No, she's loving this. She's loving this. And so remember he just said that may your breasts be like clusters of the vine. Okay, follow the analogy. May the wine go straight to my lover uh, flowing gently over lips and teeth. I belong to my lover and his desire is for me. Now, would you, that's a pretty explicit passage, isn't it? Bible is very positive on sex. Sex is a good thing. Sex is something God thought up. He created it. He's the designer of this. And he designed it to be a very powerful bonding, kind of like a super glue uh, in a couple's life. Now, there in your note sheet, I put a quote for one of my favorite authors. As you know, C.S. Lewis, uh, Chronicles of Narnia fame of recent Recent fame again. And I want you to look at this. Here we go. The old Christian teachers, they said that if man had never fallen, in other words, if sin had not entered into the world, maybe there's some, some Christian teachers have taught, oh, that sex is a result of the fall. It's like, that is so non-biblical. But look what it, it says. The old Christian teachers, these are... Uh, these are the good ones, said that if, if man had never fallen, that sexual pleasure, instead of being less than it is now, would actually have been greater. In other words, Adam and Eve were having a better time before the fall than after the fall. Okay? I know some muddle-headed Christians have talked as if Christianity thought that sex or the body or pleasure were bad in themselves, but they were wrong. Christianity is almost the only one of the great religions that thoroughly approves of the body. If anyone says that sex in itself is bad, Christianity contradicts him at once. And so the first thing Solomon wants us to understand is that sex is a good thing. This is a a tremendous gift. The second thing, though, balances that out. And it goes like this. Sex has the power to make us or break us. It's extremely powerful. It's kind of like fire. You know, nothing better than on a, on a cold night to have a hot fire in the fireplace. Amazing. What a great way to spend an evening. Nothing worse than to have that fire jump out into your living room. It can destroy your whole home. It can burn up your whole life. Uh, years ago, I uh, still at the, <coughs> this was many years ago, probably 15 years ago now, I was uh, uh, you know, a pastor at this church uh, from San Diego area, and there was, uh, there was a very small church at the time. We only had three pastors. And so we did, um, I, I invited the guys to go up with me to this uh, Julian, uh, to Julian the Mountains outside that I've talked about of uh, San Diego. And there's this cabin there that our family has often used. And 
And so it's, it's kind of a quaint old cabin. It's in the middle of the forest, in the middle of nowhere, you know, surrounded by trees, um, the, the forest of Cuyamaca. And, and so I invited these guys up to do like a prayer and planning retreat for the future of our church. And so we go up there. And when you go into this house, it's got this huge fireplace, very small little cabin, but huge fireplace, stone fireplace. And my family's always loved it. We go up there, we build fires, enjoy it, and do reading and music. And this is a great place to just relax. And so, but the owners had always told us, now this fireplace has never been cleaned. And I mean, it's like ancient of days. And so they said, so be careful you don't get the fire too hot because it could start a chimney fire. And so we've always been, you know, enjoyed fires and good-sized fires, but then be careful. So right before we go to bed that night, Paul takes one room, Larry takes another room, and, uh, or I, I take another room, and uh, Larry's in one room, uh, I'm in another room, and Paul decides that he wants to sleep um, instead of upstairs, he wants to sleep in front of the fireplace. And so he's going to do that. And so I give him the warning, you know, before you go to bed, you know, don't put in too much fire. Well, so he puts in uh, several logs, and I'm sure he thought he was being conservative. But within a half an hour, that fire was roaring. In fact, it was so loud, it was popping and cracking so loud that Larry comes out from his room and I, to see what's going on, and I hear him as he walks out of his, his room. He says, whoa, which is not a good sign. And, and so I pop out of bed, I jump out of bed, I run to the door, I open my door, and literally I'm looking now straight at the, this fireplace, stone fireplace, and at either side of the fireplace are windows on both sides. And, and outside, so you can just see the fireplace and the windows outside, there is like firefall on the outside. Both, it's just like, you know, like the old Yosemite when they, when they kind of do the fire thing, uh, push it off the mountain. I mean, it was just solid like, like waterfalls of fire. And so we are freaking out. We go hauling outside. We run out to see what's going on. On the top of the chimney on the outside, it's got this, uh, one of those metal hats that they have, like a spark arrestor type thing. And you know, they have the metal hat that's supposed to have wire meshing around so embers don't blow out. Well, this is like, you know, rusted out 50 years ago. So it's got the hat, but it's got no, no screen. And literally, the fire is coming out four to five feet like a blowtorch on both sides. It, just, it looks like someone has a huge blowtorch this big and it's blown out and we can see the chunks lighting, and there are embers like this, this, you know, this size. Like just you know, whole chunks of embers just red hot. It's raining them on the roof and on the, on the, on the floor of the, uh, of the forest. I'm just, I mean, headlines are flashing through my eyes. Three idiot pastors <laughs> burned down, you know. On a wing and a prayer. You know, it's just, I can see it now. Uh, too hot to handle. Three pounds, you know. Um, and, and so we are freaking out. And then, you know, we jumped out of bed. We're all in our underwear. Well, they're running around in our underwear. You got these two guys, they're looking for a hose. They've got, the, you know, they're, they're hosing down the roof. They're hosing down the forest floor. We're trying to keep the, I'm thinking the whole, the chimney, it's going to be a chimney fire. It's going to go up any second. I go out, I get underneath the sink. I pull out the biggest pot I can find. Like we always cook our Thanksgiving potatoes in this pot. Huge thing. And, and I'm filling up with water. I take the screen off the ho- and I just throw it on the, on the fire. And before it even hits, evaporates. And so this becomes a routine. I go over, fill it up the thing. I come back, throw it on the fire, fill it up. And this is going on for like 20 minutes. It's just this thing is out of control and we are freaking out. I found out the next day there was a fire extinguisher right there. I didn't see it. <laughs> so we're running back and forth. Every time I throw it in, you know, that's boom. And, you know, ashes are coming out in the room. And it's a smoke-filled room. And you just think the whole thing's about to go. And finally, after 20 minutes, 30 minutes, we were exhausted. The thing finally quieted down. We were so burnt out. We, I mean, we just came back in. <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> we just come back in. We said, good night. It wasn't like, wasn't that amazing? It was just like, good night. 
We get up the next day. We're supposed to pray. We're supposed to plan. We get up in the morning. Good morning. We're going home. You know, there, there's those times in your life you realize your life flashes before your eyes. It was like this was one of those times. And so that fire that was so incredible the night before, we're sitting around, we're praying, we're planning, we're loving that fire, we're enjoying it. Great, you know, this amazing fire. It was so cool when it was in the fireplace. Once that thing started threatening to leap out, outside of the fireplace, it threatened to burn down our lives. And what Solomon wants us to understand is that sex is amazingly an incredible good thing as long as it's in the fireplace. Right place, right time, right person. Amazing. Amazing gift. But you let that thing jump out of the fireplace, it'll burn your life down. And so God's word's very clear. It's that this amazing gift that God has given us, this powerful, passionate, pleasurable experience, is it's given to bond couples together. What kind of couples? Couples that are willing to give themselves body, soul, and spirit to one another for the rest of their lives. We call that marriage. This is outside of that. Yeah, it bonds people, but then it rips people. And then it bonds people, and then it rips people. And then it bonds people, and then it rips people. And so the Bible's really clear. Don't play around with fire. You'll get burned. This is don't sleep together if you're not married. It says if you're married, don't sleep with anyone else. It says this marriage is for a man and a woman. It's not same sex it's not the same sex. It'll burn you. You see? And so God's word is always is protective and not restrictive. It's telling us to get the most, how to get the most out of life. Here's how it is. There on your note sheet, I put a, a uh, quote from one of my favorite uh, guys, mentors, um, authors, Archibald Hart. Given its intensity, our sex drive can lay waste to everything in its path, including honor, reputation, families, Virginity, fidelity, chastity, good intentions, lifelong promises, and spiritual commitments. It can make us, it can break us. Now I want you to see this. I want you to take your Bibles, let's go to Proverbs chapter 7. Because of sex's ability to make us or break us, Solomon talks about it a lot. In fact, in the opening eight or nine chapters of the book of Proverbs, it's almost in every chapter a major theme. And he's talking to his sons because especially, I think, for men, this is such an important area, guys, for us to get a handle on our life because it can just so affect the course of our life. And so here's his father giving all this advice with opening chapters of the book to his sons about, about the, the blessing and the dangers of sex. Uh, fire. It can be fireplace. It can burn your life down. And so in chapter 7, we're going to get a look at one of these chapters. Uh, look at verse 6. He's going to be describing to us um, what he calls a simple man. Now, a simple man in Proverbs is not a good thing. Um, it doesn't mean like a life of simplicity. It means someone who really doesn't understand how life works. Just not real bright not the sharp, sharpest tool in the shed. And, and this person's going to get themselves in trouble through their naivete or through even their rebellion at times. And so he says, um, at the window of my house, verse 6, <coughs> I looked uh, through the lattice and I saw among the simple and I noticed among the young men there was this young man who lacked judgment. Now let me stop right here. I want you to catch this. In the book of Proverbs, the sin uh, of illicit sexuality is more often than not, not portrayed as the sin of a bad man or a bad person. 
is portrayed as the sin of a person who lacks judgment. And what that means is that, um, the thing is, is that when we participate in illicit sex, the thing we don't understand is we understand the pleasure on the upside, we don't understand the price on the downside. We just don't, and so what Proverbs wants us to understand is, well, sure, this is going to be a lot of fun. There's no question about that. This is going to be amazing. You're going to have a great time. However, let me explain the long-term consequences. And so the argument is not that it's not fun. The argument that it's not that it's not enjoyable, the argument is it's not worth it. And so it says the person who participates, they lack judgment. You know, if we have an affair in our life, uh, sure, it's a lot of fun for the moment, but the long-term consequences are, can be devastating. And so it kind of, you see, it wants to paint the picture. Sure, it's fun to go out and, you know, sleep with whoever, uh, but look at the implication for your life as a single adult long-term. And so he says um, that I, I saw a uh, youth who lacked judgment. Now, he's going to tell us a little story. It's like a case study. So here he was. He's going down the street. He's near her corner. Now, who's her? Well, we'll see her in just a moment. But for now, picture desperate housewife, okay? So I was going down the street near her corner, uh, and he was walking along the direction of her house. Now, first mistake, he's headed the wrong direction. There's some places in life we just don't want to be. If you want to kind of avoid falling into sexual sin, there's certain areas you don't want to be, whether it's on the internet or in your neighborhood or at work or wherever. There's just certain places, don't go there. And so he's walking in the wrong direction of her house, and it's just the wrong time. It's at twilight, verse 9. So, you know, the day is fading, the dark of night setting in, wrong place, wrong time. By the way, which is one of the things that makes him not a very wise guy. Okay, in verse 10. So here she comes. A woman comes out to meet him. She's dressed like a prostitute. She's just dressed to kill. She has crafty intent. Skip to verse 13. She takes hold of him. She kisses him, and with brazen face, she says, Hey, man, it's just so good to see you. I have, I, I'm just, I have fellowship offerings at home. I fulfill my vows. Hey, I've just been to church. This is just so cool. I'm right with God. Everything's covered spiritually, you know? Hey, what's the big deal? Gotta forgive us later, won't he? And and, hey, you know, I've been to confession or I've done my thing. I've done my religious thing. Okay, that's the message. I fulfill my vows. And so I came out to meet you. And I looked for you. And you're the man. You're the one I've always been looking for. And I found you. And I, I've covered my bed. You should see my room. It's amazing. I've got colored linens from Egypt. I've, I perfume my bed. I've got myrrh and aloes and cinnamon. It's, you just got to see this place. Come and let's drink deep of love till morning. Let's just make love all night long. All night long. Remember that song? And uh, let's enjoy ourselves with love. And, verse, and, and hey, don't worry about my husband, man. He's, he's out of town. He's on a business trip. And don't worry. He's in like Tokyo. It takes at least 24 hours to get back. And so uh, he, he took a purse filled with money. He won't be home until a full moon. The coast is clear. Now this guy is thinking like, oh my gosh, this is like, I, I've dreamed of this day happening. You know, this is like my fantasy coming true. It's like, awesome opportunity. Can you believe it? This babe wants me. And this guy's he is just, whoa. That's his perspective. What, it's his lucky day. He's hit the jackpot. Oh, but look what happens. Verse 21. With persuasive words, she led him astray, and she seduces him with her smooth talk. And all at once, boom, he just breaks all at once. He's kind of been resisting. I'm not so sure this is smart. I'm not sure, whatever. But all at once, he follows her like an ox going to the slaughter. You see, he's just, you know, fat, dumb, and happy, you know, chewing his grain. Mm-hmm. 
you know, like an ox. Oh, what a great day. We're going out for a walk. <laughs> like, oh, that's such a nice walk. It's a slaughterhouse. Like a deer stepping into a noose till an arrow pierces his liver. We'd call it the heart. Like a bird darting into a snare. And here's, I love this line, little knowing it will cost him his life. See, the message of the Bible is not that illicit sex isn't fun, it's that it'll cost you your life. You want the most out of life? Then don't, don't do it. You want to give up your life? You want to ruin your life? You want to have, be less alive? Then great, then go for it. Now, um, Solomon wants us to understand also how to avoid falling in this trap. So let's go back to chapter 5, Proverbs chapter 5. Okay, chapter 5, and so he says, now, verse 7, now that my sons listen to me, see he's got constantly counseling his young uh, boys as, uh, as uh, parents, so important for us to be counseling our kids in these areas of sexuality. You don't want to let them hit the age when their sexuality kicks in and have them try to figure this out on their own. We need to get in there, we need to help them understand this. We need to let them know what they're up against. We need to give them some coaching here. And so he's giving his son some coaching. And he says, now that my sons listen to me, do not turn aside from what I say. <laughs> Here's the trick. He says, hey, sex can be a powerful temptation in your life. can make you or break you. Here's the trick. You're going to have to keep to a path far from her. Now, who's her? We just saw who her was, chapter 7, right? He says, Here's a, keep to a path far from her. He says, the secret of success in the area of sexuality is there's certain places we're not supposed to go. There's certain things we're not supposed to do. He says the secret is to stay as far from the line as possible. Now here's how we often do in the Christian life. We, we really think, oh, God's not out to protect us. He's out to restrict us. And so God says, hey, don't sleep with someone before you're married. Um, if you're married, don't have an affair. And so what we do is, okay, well, that's the line. Here's the line. Um, okay, now how close can I get to the line without falling over? It's been called something sin management. How can I manage the sin? I'm right here. Hey, I think you're in trouble. Hey, the Bible doesn't say there's any problem. You know, well, I'm not doing anything wrong. So we're right here, and all of a sudden she comes by, and it's like, whoops, just lost my life. You see? And so, so what, what uh, Solomon says is, hey, if you want to like, have sex be a good thing in your life and not destroy your life, you want to keep it in the fireplace, here's the secret. The secret is keep to a path far from her. All right? Don't stay as close as you can get. Stay far away from her. And then he says in verse 9, lest you give <coughs> your best strength to others and your years to one who is cruel. Verse 11, at the end of your life, you know, or after the fling or whatever, you will groan when your flesh and your body are spent and you'll say, how I hated discipline, how my heart spurned correction. I would not obey my teachers. I wouldn't listen to my instructors. And so I have come to the brink of utter ruin in the midst of the whole assembly. And you just have this picture of this guy at the end of his life looking back and saying, what a fool. I thought it was the best day of my life. It was the worst day of my life. What a fool. I just wouldn't listen. I wouldn't heed. I wouldn't do what they said. I just, I thought I knew. I thought I was so smart. And so, boom, I've ruined my life, you see. Now, 
And the time we have left, what I want to do is I want to roll up our sleeves and talk about, well, how do we stay away from her corner in our life? Now, obviously, uh, just to make sure that we're all clear on this, remember we've talked about how Solomon is always writing this advice for his sons. It's always coming from a male perspective. Obviously, it could be his corner as well as her corner. But uh, sticking with the analogy here in Proverbs, we'll talk about what does it mean to stay away from her corner? How do you do this in your life? And I want to split this out. I want to talk to those of you who are single first, and then I want to talk to those who are, are married, because some of the principles apply, but there are different specifics involved, all right? So here's number one. If you're single... The first thing you need to do, if you want sex to be a positive thing in your future, you need to get clear on your sexual standards. I think it's the most important thing. You need to get really clear on what do I believe about sex and what are my standards, and you need to set some clear standards in your mind, what you will and you won't do. Let me give you three examples. First of all, you need to get really clear on the, 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 that uh, sexual purity is just a huge thing to God and there's no compromise here. Uh, in other words, there are a lot of people today that will say, well, I'm a Christian, and I don't think there's anything wrong with sleeping with someone before you're married, or we're planning on getting married, or we're going to live together. And I don't think there's any problem with that. And yeah, the well, Bible might say that, but times have changed, and no Christians take that seriously. And there's a lot of people who try to rationalize this away. Well, if you rationalize what God says away, you have nothing left to help you do life the right way. And so the first step is you've got to be clear on this. The Bible is crystal clear. If you're a follower of Jesus, sex outside of marriage is off limits. And you need to get really clear on that and you need to embrace that standard. If you try to wait till you get in a relationship and say, well, I'll see, you know, we'll make a decision, you know, kind of halfway along, it doesn't work so well. You see, you've got to be clear on your standards. And the New Testament is crystal clear on this. And you'll be studying your life groups this week that sexual purity is a huge deal for God. In fact, in many ways, for single adults, this is a litmus test to see, are you serious about following Jesus? If you're a single adult and you're a follower of Jesus, one of the biggest tests for you will be sexual purity. And you're going to find out whether you're just playing games with Jesus or whether you're serious or not with him by how you respond to his clear teaching in this area. Um, one of the, uh, a good book on this, if you want some reading on this, if you're a single adult, uh, Drs. Uh, Cloud and Townsend, the famous uh, counts, Christian counselors, they wrote a good book called Boundaries in Dating. And look what they said. There are a few better tests for whether or not someone lives a life in submission to God than, than what he or she does with her sexuality. Sex is such a powerful and meaningful desire that to give it up and obey God in that area is a true sign of worship. It's a true sign that someone's willing to say, not my will, but thine be done. So this becomes a litmus test for, for uh, who rules one's life, the person or God. And so the first thing is, don't fool yourself. If you can think, I can walk with Jesus and play fast and loose sexuality, you're just deceived. It's just the bottom line. Just, you're, you're out there. The Holy Spirit is not leading your life. You've gotten off track. You just need to, to get back in tune with that, with, with, with what the Bible says. And that's the first step to staying on track is you've got to embrace the standard. Second thing, uh, in terms of what does it mean to have clear uh, sexual standards, is you need to make sure you only date people that share that standard. You know, if, if, if you hold the standard, but you date someone who doesn't share the standard, it's going to put you in a very awkward position, and it's gonna be, you're, you're like walking down her street. You know, it's very hard to say no, even when you both are saying no. It's, it becomes immensely difficult if you're saying, oh, I don't think I'm supposed to. Oh, what's the big deal? You know, I paid my vows. We'll ask our God's forgiveness later. A lot of Christians do it, you see. So we need to be clear on that. And the third thing is, is you need to get clear on your sexual boundaries. 
Now, what I mean by this is if you're a single adult, there's a lot of space between holding hands and sleeping together, isn't there? A lot of different stages, a lot of different steps. And you need to get clear in your mind what is the standard that you, you know, how kind of, what, what is your standard for your physical relationship with the people you're dating? It's not good enough to say, I'm not going to sleep together. You've got to be clear, well, what do I feel like is the standard? And you need to do that before the heat of the moment. Okay? It doesn't work in the back seat of the car to figure out, now, what do I think, the, you know, where should the standard be? It doesn't work so well when you're out on a moonlit cruise to say, now, where's that standard? Yeah, it's like we have to decide this ahead of time. Now, I wish we had time to, to do a lot of teaching on this. We just don't today. So I, wanna, I, I created a resource. Uh, years ago, I did a, a series. It was a five-message series called Sex and the Single Life. And we've made up about 50 of these sets this weekend. If we run out, we'll get, uh, we'll get more made up. But there's uh, five lessons in here, and they really cover everything from why did God create sex, what's the purpose of sex, uh, to uh, what's the benefits of sexual purity, how does that bless your life, to what's the high cost of sexual immorality, uh, uh, how do you set your standards, what are, like what's a biblical, spiritual way to set your standards, and then how do you keep those standards. And so there's five CDs. I get nothing for you buying it. Just want to be clear here. <laughs> it's not like an advertisement for me. But, um, but this, has, uh, this set's been you know, so helpful to hundreds and thousands of single adults who felt like, hey, this is not really possible. I can't do this. This is impossible. Possible. And God has just used this to turn lives around. And I'll tell you what, I've seen this happen with just hundreds, hundreds of single adults who once they got serious about this area of their life and watched God turn their life around. And even if you're one of those people who say, you know what, I've not been faithful to God in this area. I've been real promiscuous. It's probably too late for me because I'm so, like, what's the difference? I just slept with so many people. Can I tell you something? Jesus has an amazing ability not only to forgive but to heal. And when we surrender to his standards and let him come into our life as the good shepherd in our life, he is able to heal us. And in the, back in the Old Testament, one of God's favorite things to say is, behold, I make all things new. You see? So it doesn't matter where you've come from. It doesn't matter what you've messed up. That doesn't matter. Jesus can heal you but you have to surrender your life to him. You have to do it his way. And so uh, we created these this weekend. Um, so you have them. You can get them in the tape, uh, in the tape uh, counter out there. And there's information in your bulletin. Now, if you're married, let's talk to those of us who are married. There's actually two things I want to say to you. Now, it says only one, but we're going to add one. I just don't want you to get too comfortable. I'm going to be doing this for 20 years. Get used to it. So, okay, uh, two things. Uh, the first thing, now remember, the whole issue is how do we stay away from her corner? So if you're married, um, you know, the danger, one of the dangers for you is of, of, of being in an affair. And you might say, I don't think I'm in danger of that. Believe me, if you're married, you're in danger of that. It's like this culture we're in is crazy. And, you know, most people that I've talked to that had an affair, they're like, I never thought it would happen to me. I'm not the last person I have. And so we need to guard ourselves from this. And so how do we stay away from her corner if you're married? Well, here's number one. Uh, steer clear of close friendships with the opposite sex. Hey, that's the first feeling. Stay clear of close friendships 
with the opposite sex. Now, I don't mean being friendly with the opposite sex. I don't mean having a good working relationship. I'm not talking about that. But I'm talking about steer clear of what you call a close friendship. Where you, you know what a friendship is. You call them on the phone. You hang out. It's one-on-one time. You share your life and hopes and dreams. And, and there's, there's a, that kind of a friendship. Uh, I think Proverbs, is, would, the, the advice would give us to stay clear of that. Because here's the deal. If you stop and think about it, the best relationships... The best couple relationships, the best romantic relationships, are always based on a great friendship, right? And you meet a couple and you say, wow, it's so cool, you met each other, you're going to get married. Like, yeah, what do you know I love? It's like, like, he's like my best friend, or she's like my best friend. Well, see, friendship, and I hear that, I always love that. It's like, great, because that's a bit, huge part of marriage, is being good friends. And so a great marriage is based on a great friendship. And so when you build a great friendship with someone of the opposite sex, you've just laid the foundation for an affair, right? Just kind of taking step one. Now, let me, let me tell you this, that you may not know this, but most affairs do not happen James Bond style. They don't happen as your eyes lock in the smoky-filled room across. You know, they don't even really happen that way. They do happen that way sometimes. Um, if you travel a lot, they can happen that way. If you're in the wrong place, wrong time, you put yourself in a situation, sure, they can happen that way. But most affairs don't happen that way. Most affairs happen with someone that you know pretty well. There's someone you work with. Uh, there's someone that you uh, maybe you're friends with. It's uh, families, couples do a lot together. It could be someone you're in ministry with. It could be it's someone you're spending a lot of time with. Okay, and and usually what happens is in that setting, uh, if there's any kind of chemistry there, a friendship begins to develop, and uh, and so uh, we wake up one day and you realize, oh my gosh, I've got feelings of attraction for this person, and so usually what we do is we ignore that. We say that's silly. They're just a friend. There's nothing there, and so we ignore that. But they build over time, and one day we wake up, we find out we're falling in love with that person. Well, falling in love is one of the strongest emotions that God has ever created. And once you start getting within the gravitational pull of that in that orbit, I mean, it is just really hard to pull out. And so well-meaning people who never intended to have an affair, never set out to have an affair, not furthest thing from their mind, finally saw them getting sucked in by this gravitational pull because of this, this uh, relationship that developed into a friendship. And so the first thing I think that we'd be wise to do if we want to stay away from her corner is just we just need to recognize that having close friendships with the opposite sex, you are playing with fire. And uh, often what happens, if that happens, your spouse will often come to you and say, I'm uncomfortable with this relationship. And if you're typical, what you will say is, you're making a big deal out of nothing. And that usually is like, should like when that happens in a marriage, it should be like alarm bells should go up, you know, all over the house. Ding, ding, ding. You know, like we're entering, we just entered a warning zone, danger zone. Okay, and so um, that's the first one. But there's a second one I want to add here. If we want to stay away from her corner, you have to you have to write in your own words here. If you're married, you need to make your sexual relationship a top priority in your marriage. So if you're married, you say, well, we don't want, we, we don't want to have an affair in our marriage. Um, we want to stay away from a corner. Well, then, okay, then here's the advice. You need to make your sexual relationship this is a really high priority. It's important to make this work. I want you to take, take you back to Proverbs 5 again. And verse uh, 18 was where we started off <coughs> our journey today. Proverbs 5 and verse... Um, 
Let's do 18 again. May your fountain be blessed. May you rejoice in the wife of your youth, the loving Dale, graceful dear. May your breast satisfy you always. Um, and may you be captivated by our love. I want you to underline two words, satisfy and captivated. If we want to affair-proof our marriage, it's important that we are finding satisfaction and captivation in our marriage. Very important in our physical relationship, in our sexual relationship, it's important that we are finding satisfaction there. And so if we're not finding satisfaction there, if this is an area of frustration, we are putting ourselves in an area of vulnerability. Now, this is not always easy. You take the young couple that's dating, following Jesus, they're just struggling to keep their hands off of each other. And now let's fast forward five, ten years, a couple kids have come, bills have piled up, long days. And that same couple that like, couldn't keep their hands off each other, now one or the other, and it could be, could be either way, one of the others not interested, lost interest in sex. And all of a sudden, the super glue that God's given us to bond our lives together is not being used in the marriage, which leads to a fragile marriage, one that's open to attack. And there can be many reasons for this. Let me just run through a few reasons real quickly. Uh, I think one reason is just that men and women are wired so differently sexually. Uh, you know, in terms of res- responses, what we respond to. Uh, sexual appetite can really vary from one person to another. And though the stereotype is, hey, men always want it more, uh, whether that's, I think, generally true, it's often true that that's the opposite in a marriage. And if you're in a marriage like that, it's particularly frustrating because everyone thinks it's the other way. And yet in your marriage, it's like the wife has a greater appetite than the husband. And it's like, wow, is something wrong with me? Is something wrong with the marriage? You're like, what's going on here? So that could be a reason. Um, different seasons of life. You know, it's, it's, you know, you go through different seasons. Your sex life is great, and you start having a couple kids, and you're young kids, and mom's up early taking care all day, especially if she's working outside the home too, and she comes home, and the job's never done, and, and all of a sudden she's just exhausted. And it's like it's, it's hard for, uh, especially for women who are just really exhausted, um, fatigued emotionally and physically to, uh, to, to respond sexually oftentimes. So different seasons of life, uh, menopause, uh, different uh, kind of work things uh, or physical things for men. You know, it's just, there can be different seasons of life. Um, here's one, um, bad experiences from the past. Some of you have, have just gone through the horrible experience of maybe being molested sexually when you were younger, men or women. It goes both ways. And it's affecting your desire or your freedom in sexuality. You read a passage like chapter 7 of Song of Solomon. This passage describes this delightful, enjoyable, fun sexual relationship. And you say, boy, I'm just not there. For me, it's a place uh, of fear. It causes me to clam up. I I get nervous. I get scared. Uh, Sometimes it can be uh, because of promiscuity in the past. You know, you're just promiscuous before you get married, and then you get married, and it's like, hey, this person doesn't match up to this person, this person, this person. And you got all these mental images, and it's like it's undercutting the whole process, you know. Um, it can be, uh, you got a pornography issue, and suddenly it's like, you know, your wife or husband's not matching up to this, what you're seeing on your screen. And, and of course, they're airbrushed, and that's hard to do to a real spouse. But anyway, um, <laughs> bad teaching. You know, like I said, some of you have grown up in homes or churches that, that if sex was talked about at all, it was really in a negative way. You've never had a positive teaching on sex, and, and somehow you feel like, you know, when God made Adam and Eve, and then he couldn't look, you know? It's like, oh my gosh, look what they're doing. Never thought of that, you know? Uh, uh, it's like, you know, you're in the bedroom, turn off the lights, can't let God see. Um, 
Here's another one, bad marriage. It's hard to have good sex in a bad marriage. Now, for lots of, if stereotypically, men can do that. But it's very hard for most wives to have good sex in a bad marriage. And so if the marriage is bad, it's going to be very difficult for most wives to really enter in because for most women, sex is about relationship, not about the act, you see. And so here's what I'm saying. As I think what Solomon say, if you want to affair-proof your marriage, if you want to stay away from here from our corner, you need to make sex a top priority. And if it is not a priority in your marriage, if it's not working for you, if that's, then all I'm saying is then you need to take that seriously. Don't ignore that. Don't skip it. Don't sweep it under the carpet. Don't pretend. Don't make up excuses. It's like figure it out. Um, there are great books out there. You go to a Christian bookstore, there are great books out there um, that will help you from Christian perspective understand your sexuality and give you great uh, uh, help in this area. Uh, sometimes you might need to get counseling uh, to, get, to get past some of these issues. But what I'm saying is don't ignore it. It's too important. It's an amazing gift, but it can make us or break us. You see, that's what Solomon wants us to understand. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this incredibly practical book you've given us. God, thank you that you are the author and designer of our sexuality. And thank you, God, that you've also told us how to keep it in the fireplace where it can warm us and bring passion to our lives but not burn our lives down. We pray you'd give us the grace and the courage to follow you. We pray this in your name. Amen. One thing I love about our God is that he is the one who makes all things new. Back in the book of Isaiah, There was a time in Israel's life where they were far from God. In fact, their life was a ruin. They had gone into exile. They'd been there. They thought that God had forgotten about them. They'd gotten so far off the track. They'd been so disobedient. They were just sure. There was no spiritual future in there uh, for them. Or that if if there was any relationship with God, they were going to be like backseat Christians, so to speak. You know, they were going to be like in the back row, just not maybe inside the building, but that's it. God sent the prophet Isaiah to them. He said, oh no. He said, behold, I will do a new thing in your life. In fact, I want to make all things new. And I found in my life that God is the one who makes all things new. You follow that theme throughout the Bible. It comes to the end, the last story, the last couple chapters of the book, in the book of Revelation the one who sits on the throne at the very end of time says, Behold, I make all things new. And you can't talk about a topic today without touching a lot of nerves. Most in this room have probably messed up significantly at some point in their life sexually. It's probably one of those things that we remember. It's one of those things that we regret. We look back and, oh, if I only hadn't, or why did I, or why did I think it was worth it? But probably most of us here have things like that that, as I mentioned, they come to your mind right now. You can relate to that. A, a message like this, there's times the laughter when it's fun. There's awful times when it gets very quiet in the room, isn't there? It's like, wow, you know. Wow, if I'd only known, if, I, if I'd only made better decisions, if onlys. And it's so amazing how God comes to our life and he says, he hovers over our life in the cloud. <laughs> and like in that first day of creation where it says the earth was formless and void, it was a mess. And God hovered over and he began to call out good things. And I want you to take that message with you. I don't, I don't care where you've been. 
I don't care whether you've had an affair and you've messed up in your marriage. I don't care if you've been promiscuous sexually. I don't care if somehow you've gotten off into a same-sex lifestyle. It doesn't really matter. Because we all come together under the cross. You know? And we all come together under the banner of the one who says, I make all things new. (laughs) It doesn't matter where you've come from. I can only forgive you. I can heal you. But what it takes is it takes a surrender. It takes a surrender that you're going to stop doing life your way. You're going to follow him. And then all the powers of heaven come to help you as you take one step at a time. So as we end today, I want to remind you that the Church of Rocky Peak, the one we serve, is the one who makes all things new. And that includes you. Doesn't matter how far you've been from God. Doesn't matter what you did. But he is the one who says, Behold, I want you to forget the former things because behold, I will do a new thing. And I want you to take that word with you. And if there's some area you've been far from God or whatever, make it right. We have prayer counselors in the back, back here in our prayer room. And afterwards, if you would like some prayer, you just want to go and say, I just need some prayer in this. You can tell them as little or as much as you want. It's up to you. But you just need some prayer. And go on right back there afterwards. I'll be with you. Now to him who is the creator in our life, the one who said, behold, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. The one who says, behold, I make all things new. The one who wants to recreate in your life. May he be your God this week. And may you move close to him and hear his words of affirmation and love and healing. And don't let the enemy steal from you the relationship God wants to have with you regardless of where you've been or what you messed up. We'll see you next week. Next week, finances. See you then. (laughs) 